Well, friends, we made it. The Christmas lights are up. Starbucks has their red cups out. All the carriages are sold out at Highland Park Village. We are in Christmas season. We have arrived. And every year, every year at this time of the year, I start to look around Dallas and it always occurs to me how wildly different the way we celebrate Advent now is than the way it was traditionally celebrated for the first 1,500, 1,800 years. I think about this a lot because back in the day when Advent was first thought of, when we started as a church to think of it as a season, it was always correlated with the time of the year. You see, Jesus' birth, whether you celebrate on January 6th, like our Eastern Orthodox friends, or whether you celebrate it on December 25th, it's always in the midwinter, the darkest part of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And so when Christians started thinking about how they would celebrate the season, they actually took a note from the season itself. The season was darkness. And so what Advent looked like for them was actually a season of quiet, a season of fasting, a season of penance. It almost looked like a mini Lent, those weeks before Christmas. And they would do this in preparation, usually because January 6th was a baptism feast. And so a bunch of people would get baptized on January 6th. But those weeks before, they didn't have electricity or artificial lights. And so they embraced what the world looked like outside these walls. They watched and they waited in the darkness for Emmanuel to come. And whether it's Advent or not, we're all watching and waiting for something a new job, a romantic partner, a baby, a relationship to heal, a cure, something. And what's interesting about that watching and waiting, if you're in it for a long time, if that season is prolonged, it can feel super disorienting. You can start to lose your way, and it it kind of feels like you're walking through an unfamiliar house in the dark. You start to bump into things you didn't know were there. You start to get mad at all the things in the world that are blocking your way. And it's not just that darkness can be unnerving, can be kind of crazy-making. Darkness actually amplifies our longing for the thing that you seek. Think about it when you can't go to sleep, when you're lying awake in bed in the dark. You get up, you start pacing around the house, and the doctors tell us not to turn on the lights or the TV or your phone, so you're literally in your room in the dark. And all you want as you're pacing back and forth is what? You long to go to sleep. That's all you want. You just want to go to sleep. And the longer it lasts, the more the darkness comes in, the more you're there with your thoughts and your feelings by yourself, what happens? the more you long for that sleep to happen. Darkness amplifies our longings. Watching and waiting does the same. 
And that's exactly what Advent is about. It's a season of darkness. A season where we watch and wait. Where we feel the longing in us amplify for the world as it should be and not as it is. In Advent, we stumble around in the dark a little bit. Knowing that somewhere in the future, there's a light that's lit that we just need to get to. This Advent, we're going to spend three weeks in the dark. We're going to stumble around a little bit through three human experiences of watching and waiting. Three experiences that often come to us in the darkness. Loss fear, and disappointment. And if this is your first time here and you're like, well, that doesn't feel very optimistic for a Christmas sermon series, let me tell you, I've thought about this, but I actually think that not only do they have lessons to teach us because for over a thousand years, people celebrated Advent this way, but also if we're not gonna talk about loss, fear, and disappointment at church, then where are we going to talk about it? So today, today, we're gonna talk about loss. And we're gonna talk about the emotion that comes with loss of any sort called grief. Grief comes in lots of forms, as does loss. It can be a loss of a relationship. It can be a loss of security. It can be a loss of a way of life that you thought was going to be. It can be a loss of health, what you thought your life was going to look like. It can take so many forms in our lives. And you don't have to live very long to experience some form of loss. Of course, most poignantly, when we think about loss, we think about the grief of losing a loved one, a brother, a sister, a parent, a child. Those griefs sit with us the longest, but there are lots of others that creep up in our lives as we go along. And for those who grieve, Advent can feel like a season living underwater. All this healing you thought you did, all those pangs that you felt during the year that kind of have subsided, when you get to Advent, suddenly they become unbearable. And if you have lost someone or something, you know this feeling. You can't go to North Park because the decorations are too much. It's so different than what you feel inside. You can't come to church or you can't sing the carols because it feels so different than what you feel inside. You go to set the table at Christmas and your hands start to tremble because you are not setting the place for one person that should be there this year. For those of us who grieve, December is just a month to survive. It is just a month to not drown. Just like darkness amplifies longing, so does Advent amplify grief. I think that's because the longings of grief and Advent look so similar. When you grieve, you wish for the diagnosis to not be true. 
You long for the person that's supposed to be there to be there. You long for your spouse not to have left you. You long for all these things. You long for the world as it should be and not as it is. In Advent, we do the same. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who loans in mournly exile here until the Son of God appears. All of Advent is longing for something that should be but is not here yet. That longing lives inside of us. It's part of the human condition and has been true for as long as we can remember. And it is an important part of the people of God. When you grieve, I always like to tell people that they're participating in a longing that the people of God have expressed for millennia. This deep-seated grief that things are not the way they should be has long been in the record of the way that we talk to God and the way we talk about God. When people come to me in times of grief, sometimes they feel guilty that they're not reading the Bible or they're not participating in the things that they used to. And often I tell them, look, forget about the rest of the Bible, just focus on the Psalms. And I do that because the Psalms has the fullest range of emotion that we have seen in the Bible. Psalms like this one in Psalm 31 talks about the grief that we feel. The grief that is there inside of us. So the Psalm goes, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. This feeling that the world isn't the way it should be, that, it, that we're not satisfied with the way it is, it's been a long time coming. It's a feeling that has existed within the people of God for a long time. So much so to this feeling that something is not right. I cannot bear this grief anymore. Culminated into this idea of a Messiah. That there must be an answer. If we have a God who loves us, then someone must be coming to save us. Because this grief is too much to bear. And over hundreds of years, this idea built into this idea of a Messiah. And it took lots of forms, but one of the most prominent forms was that someone was going to come and rescue Israel and turn it into the kingdom that was supposed to be this warrior Messiah that was going to come and save us. But what the Israelites did not expect, what we now know, was that Messiah looked very differently. Ironically, Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, wrote about the Messiah, maybe not knowing that he was writing about the Messiah. And he said this, he said, whoever the Messiah is, he will be despised and rejected by others. A man of sorrows and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That part is true, right? 
that Jesus carried our sorrows, that his life was actually full of grief. There are several instances of Jesus crying in the Gospels, of weeping. There's images of him crying on the cross. And whenever I talk to people about grief, I tell them that those tears are a form of unexpressed love, love that could not be given. And when I think about Jesus, I think, God, he was holding all of this love. He was trying to give it away. And what? The people could not take it. They could not receive that love. And instead, he bore that grief for the world, not as it should be, but as it was. It is an incredible thing in our faith that we believe in a God who knew what it was to lose something, knew what it was to live in this in-between of the world, not as it is, but as it should be, to live in the middle. He knew that. And so often when we talk to people who are grieving, we talk about this image of Jesus weeping on the cross, bearing that pain, knowing that struggle. But I gotta be honest, that if you are in the midst of grief, that image of Jesus weeping, it can feel too abstract. It can feel too far away from the pain that you are feeling. And so often when I'm talking to people about this, I draw their attention to the other people around Jesus on the cross. The mother who loses her child. The brother whose shared blood is up on a cross. The friends who thought that this was going to work out, who had hope in this relationship. And then I also draw attention, and maybe this is for us today, if you have not lost someone recently, is that there's all those other people on the hill. There's all these other people in Jerusalem who are weeping as well, who look on and know that this is not supposed to be how it is. And they can't explain why they're moved. They can't explain why they're sad. But they understand that this is not how it is supposed to be. We all carry grief. We all understand that longing, whether it feels pronounced or not. That there is sorrow for a world that is what it is. And it's not quite yet what it should be. I always think it's really interesting that at Christmas, we focus so much on baby Jesus, on nativities, on, on things like this. We talk about the shepherds and the angels and Bethlehem. And it kind of makes sense because, of course, that is where the story begins. But I always think about that that baby didn't solve the grief of Mary or James or the disciples or the people on the hill yet. That Jesus' birth was just the beginning of a story. But that's not actually what solves the problem of grief. And then I'm reminded that for the first 15 to 1600 years, Christmas wasn't actually about the birth of Jesus. The first coming, him as a baby, was actually about the second coming, when Jesus comes back again. As Christians, our hope is in that latter coming, 
It is in the idea that we believe in a world where Jesus will come back again and heaven will be here on earth. Where there will be no more grief, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain. The longing of what is and what should be is one. That is the hope that we plant our flag in. That is the hope that satisfies our longing. Part of the issue is is that we don't know exactly what this looks like, and so it's hard to hold on to. Revelations 21 probably gives us the best picture of it. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. When we talk about Advent, when we talk about what we are hoping for, it isn't just the birth of Jesus, although that starts the story. It is the hope for something greater than that. For something that actually satisfies our deepest griefs, that makes sense of our profoundest loss. Just like Jesus weeping can feel too abstract, I have found that so too can this image of a new heaven on earth feel too hard to grasp if you're in the middle of grief. And so I want to offer those who are grieving, who are bringing things into this place, something else, something that I think they can hold on to. This quote is from a book called On Grief and Grieving, written by two of the most famous authors on this subject. And when they're talking about grief, this is what they say. They say, the reality reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. When you first read this quote, especially if you haven't lost something this year, it can feel a little devoid of hope. It can feel a little pessimistic. But I actually think that that quote holds the reason that we can keep on living here. Because although we hope for one day in the future, although we hope that Jesus will come again and solve all of the darkness and bring light, because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, there are signs of heaven here on earth. There are signs of a resurrected life here now with us. And never is that more clear than those who have gone through loss and come back through the death, through the darkness, and make themselves whole again. If you are grieving this Christmas, let me remind you, you will love again. You will live again. 
you will find happiness and joy and you will be able to create that, not because of you, but because you are God's. And that is the story that God tells. He takes death and he brings it into life every time. Every time. That is what we believe. That is the miracle of the resurrection lived out during Advent. When we cannot see the way, when the darkness makes us crazy, when we feel like we are stumbling around in the dark, when our longings feel amplified, we know that God is with us and that God will make us whole again and that God is doing something new in us. Whatever your grief was this year, whether you're the person on the hill looking on to friends or family members who have lost someone, whether you are Mary or James or disciples, whether you are in it or whether you are in the periphery, I hope that your grief is complicated by the love and the joy and the peace and above all, the hope that Emmanuel will come that Christ is with us and Christ will come again. Let us pray. God, we walk through the darkness knowing there is a light in front of us, knowing that we are moving towards something. For those of us who grieve and find it hard to take the steps, give us not only the strength to do so, but the friends to help us do it. Let us be comfort and strength for each other. Let us grieve together. As we move through darkness, let us have hope in the light that we know exists. And let our hope be well-placed, not just in the manger, but also on the day when heaven will be earth. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.